Would you take out your Bible, please, and turn to Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5, and we'll begin reading in verse 15 here in just a moment. Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 15. If you'll turn there, you'll be ready for the lesson this morning. Have you ever been sitting in the pew uh, during the midst of a sermon, and you have this kind of sinking, suspicious feeling that maybe the preacher is preaching straight at you? I'll let you in on a little secret. Probably not. But that's probably the Word of God working on your heart through the things that are being said. But for nine special individuals this morning, I'm preaching to you this morning. And while the things that I have to say apply to all of us and we can make application to all of us, this sermon this morning is for you. To our high school seniors, congratulations. You're about to graduate. And with that, uh, that's exciting, isn't it? I didn't have to tell you that. You've known that. You've been looking forward to it for months, probably, but it's here. It's finally here. This week, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday, you're graduating, and that's awesome. And believe it or not, I remember what it felt like. I remember the, uh, the anticipation, the, the feeling of freedom. Maybe there was a little bit of apprehension in the back of my mind, but all of that was kind of squashed by the idea that I'm done and I'm ready to move on to the next stage. And, and so my one big question for you this morning is very simply this. You're about to graduate. Well, now what? Now what? I mean, I know what it says in the email and the keeping in touch and all of that. I, I know that you have plans after graduation to go to various colleges or to the workforce, but that's not really the question that I'm asking this morning. I mean, now what spiritually? What comes next in your spiritual life? What challenges and temptations and opportunities are about to come your way over the next few months? And what does the Bible say about how you can thrive and what comes next. So in order to answer that question, now what? This morning I have three big picture admonitions, three big things that I want you to think about that kind of guide you as you go through your life. Uh, and I want you to think about those big picture things. And then at the end of the lesson, what we're going to do is we're going to zoom in on some really practical, applicable actionable things that you can actually do. Just kind of a list of seven things. Hey, do these seven things, and if you do, then it's going to help you to achieve those big picture things that we're going to talk about at the beginning of the lesson. So, you don't have to do these things. Uh, I'm not telling you you have to do them. Uh, I remember that feeling a few months after my graduation when I got in my car and I drove off and I had... Uh, how far was it, 24 hours to drive to Florida? And I remember driving, I'm not going to tell you how fast I was driving, uh, headed toward Florida from West Texas, and I finally just kind of screamed in the car and honked the horn a bunch of times because it was like, man, it's on me now. Well, it is. It's on you. So what do you need to do? Three things, big picture. Please, I, I'm asking you, I'm begging you, as somebody who loves you, please, Please be aware. If you're there in Ephesians chapter 5, Ephesians chapter 5, Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 15, See then 
that you walk circumspectly. That's the idea of looking in all directions. Maybe your translation says, walk carefully, not as fools, but as wise. Redeeming the time because the days are evil. They're short, they're fair, they're tough, they're filled with evil. Therefore, verse 17, do not be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. So, be aware, and this passage specifically tells you to be aware of some specific things. Be aware of what's around you. Walk circumspectly. Look in all directions. Be ready. Be prepared. Be on guard. As Paul told Timothy in uh, 2 Timothy, in writing to his son in the faith, in chapter 4 and verse 5, he says, be watchful in all things. And that's the idea. Uh, Don't just float through life. Be intentional about what it is that you see happening around you. Uh, From a physical standpoint, we call this situational awareness. You know, uh, who in here, when you go into a restaurant, the first thing you do is, where are the exits? Who, who, Who does that? Anybody? I'm glad I'm not the only one, right? I want to be aware of what's going on and how do I get out of here if I need to get out of here. But well, what I'm asking you to be is situationally aware spiritually. Do you see what's going on all around you? Paul put it this way earlier in that same book, 2 Timothy 2 and verse 22, flee also youthful lusts, but pursue righteousness, faith, love, peace with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. That's something that you have to be aware and intentional about. Be conscious and intentional about where you are, about what you're doing, and who you're doing it with. Uh, To this point in your life, your command from God as a Christian, the thing that is specifically commanded to you, children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. That's God's command to you. That's how you fulfill your purpose as someone who's at home and in your parents' house. And maybe, like me, you yearned for the time. You waited for the time where you could make your own decisions. Is that a way of putting it? I'm going to make my own decisions. Make my own decisions. Well, my admonition to you is this. Make your own decisions. Rather than those decisions being made for you by others who do not have your best interest in heart like your parents did, like your parents who wanted you to do what's right and told you to do the right things to do, if you want to make your own decisions, my admonition is make your own decisions. Instead of allowing other people that you come in contact with to make those decisions for you. Be aware of what's around you, about where you are, what you're doing, and who you're doing it with. So please be aware, as he says in Ephesians 5, of what's around you. But also be aware of the time. Uh, That's what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to redeem the time. Uh, Seniors, if you live to an average age here in America... You have over 36 million minutes left in your life. Seems like a lot. But did you know that you've already used over 9 million minutes in your life? Every single one of those, every single second for that matter, is being redeemed for something. I'm using this up and it is a limited commodity. Until one day there are no more minutes left. Redeem those things for something that are valuable. Be aware of the time. 
and that time is passing. Turn, if you would, to James chapter 4. James chapter 4. We actually alluded to this uh, passage in Bible class, but let's go ahead and read it together. James chapter 4 and verse 13. Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow I'm going to graduate and I'm going to go off to this college and I'm going to do these things. Well, today or tomorrow we will go to such and such a city, spend a year there, buy and sell and make a profit, whereas you do not know what will happen tomorrow. For what is your life? It is even a vapor that appears for a little time and then vanishes away. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we shall live to do this or that. Now, for those of you who are graduating, most of you have been here for years and years and years, and you grew up here and those sorts of things. And so you probably remember Mr. Harold saying at some point, what is your life? Well, it's like when you take a can of Coke and you open it up and it goes, that little, that's your life. That's what he says here. It's a vapor that appears for a little time and then vanishes away. And as a young person, you think to yourself, I I've got my whole life in front of me, and that's true. But you don't need to be wasting your life, the life that you have right now, because you have a lot of life left. You need to make the most of the opportunities that you have. A and let me make two specific applications to to new graduates, I, I think you have two opportunities that a lot of other people do not have. The first one of those is that this is your time. This is your time for evangelism, your time to be salt and light and have an influence and impact on the people that you are around. Um, I've devoted my life to preaching the gospel, to being an evangelist and trying to bring other people to Christ. And yet the time in my life when I had the most Bible studies with others, the most opportunities to talk to other people about my faith was when I was going to a state college. Because that's when people are unsure about what it is they believe, unsure about where they want to go in their life, and so they're searching for something. You have an opportunity to provide that something to them. And then secondly, this is your time to start good habits of Bible reading and prayer and worship. And we're going to talk about that more here in just a second, but if you start now with those things, they can carry you through the rest of your life and the rest of your relationship with God. The time is now. For what are you redeeming the time? Uh, the third thing we need to be aware of there in Ephesians, you need to be aware of what you're going into. He says the days are evil. And I think a good description of those days might be found in 1 Peter. Go to 1 Peter chapter 4. 1 Peter chapter 4. In describing the lusts of men that are against the will of God, verse 3 of 1 Peter chapter 4 says, For we have spent enough of our past lifetime doing the will of the Gentiles. When we walked in lewdness, lust, drunkenness, revelries, drinking parties, and abominable idolatries. In regard to these, they think it's strange that you do not run with them in the same flood of dissipation, speaking evil of you. And if we drop down to chapter 5 and verse 8, we're admonished by Peter here, be sober, be vigilant, 
Because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour, resist him, steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same sufferings are experienced by your brotherhood in the world. You are going off into a far country. The far country of Stephen F. Austin, UT Tyler, OU, Texas A&M, Florida College, or Texas Tech. Now, some places uh, that I've listed there are farther than others, both literally and figuratively. But you can find whatever you're looking for there, either good or bad. And the workforce, for those of you who have made that decision, has its own problems. Co-workers and bosses and hours that conflict with services or questionable practices that you're asked to associate with, you will be forced, all of you will be forced to either take a stand or stand aside. We've been studying uh, on Sunday mornings out of the book of Daniel. And the reality is, we talked about the city Babylon, how the Tower of Babel is Babylon at the beginning of the Bible, and in the book of Revelation we have Babylon the Great, who's this great harlot city, and in between we see literal Babylon and how it is this personified idea of the country, the city of evil. Well, here's the reality. We studied about Daniel and all the things that he's going through. We all live in Babylon. We all live in not the promised land, but in another country. And this country, this world is not supposed to be our home or our final destination. These days are evil. And we live in a world that is filled with all kinds of wickedness. And so we need to be prepared to combat it. And the way we do is we're diligent. We're self-controlled, he says. Be sober. That's the idea of being self-controlled. Be vigilant. Be watchful, he says. Knowing that other Christians all over the world are fighting the same battles as you. The same sufferings are experienced by your brotherhood in the world. And the last thing I want you to be aware of, can you please be aware of those who love you and are here to help you? So the graduates especially, look around for just a second. Look around at this auditorium. Every person here wants you to succeed. Every person here is rooting for you. And if I know the people here, every person here is willing to help you in whatever way we possibly can. We are fighting the same battles that you have been fighting and that you're about to fight to a greater degree. We have, believe it or not, we have fought those same battles and we've come through so many of the battles that you're about to face. Please, please use us. Please rely on us because we love you and we're here to help. So please, be aware. The second big picture thing, please, make decisions based on biblical principles and spiritual priorities. A lot of people, even Christians, are going to give you all kinds of advice. Uh, you're going to get cards, and there's going to be stuff written in them. You're going to get Dr. Seuss books, and there's going to be stuff in there. And everybody wants to tell you what you need to do in your life. And maybe that's part of the reason why you say, I want to make my own decisions because everybody's telling me what to do. But lots of those people, well-intended, with the right attitude, 
are going to tell you to make decisions for all sorts of reasons that really don't matter at all. Tell you to make decisions about your job or what degree you need to get or how much money you can make doing certain things or the boy or girl you need to date or when you need to get married or why you need to get married or where you need to live. All these things about what you need to do with your life. May I just ask you to please uh, don't, don't neglect the counsel of those who are older but make sure it is the counsel of those who are wiser. Make sure that it is counsel based on what the Bible says with spiritual things given the first consideration. Maya 10 verse 23, it is not in man who walks to direct his own steps. So who can direct our steps? Well, turn to 2 Timothy chapter 3 if you would. 2 Timothy chapter 3. This applies. This applies to... All nine of you. 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 14. Now this is Paul talking to Timothy. Can you just imagine, pretend for a moment, that it's Paul talking to you. But you must continue in the things which you have learned and been assured of, knowing from whom you have learned them, and that from childhood you have known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God, that's the anthropos, the person of God, man or woman, that the person of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. Every good work. Everything that pertains to life and godliness is found right here. And you've been given a leg up on so many because from your childhood you've been taught these things and know these things. The Word can direct us. And we need to decide things based on what it says, based on what the Word of God says. Um, I've told you before, I, I give this advice to uh, people who are getting married. I give this advice to graduates. I just give this advice pretty much to everybody. Uh, my granddad, um, for most of his adult life, I think he wrote this down when he was in the army stationed in Germany. For most of his adult life, he had a little slip of paper in his wallet that said, always let spirituality have the upper hand, and you will never go wrong. Always let spirituality have the upper hand, and you will never go wrong. How do I know what's spiritual? How do I know how to walk according to the Spirit? I come back to God's Word that can direct me in just that way. The third big picture thing, please, please remember who you are, where you're going, and how you're going to get there. Well, maybe you ask the question. Hopefully you know the answer to those questions, but let's just ask them. Who am I? Well, turn to Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3 is a great passage maybe to memorize, certainly to mark in your Bible, highlight in your Bible, maybe even write these questions out beside it because this gives the answer to who you are. Let's read first verses 3 and 4 of Colossians chapter 3. For you died. If you're a Christian, you died. 
You, you put off that old man of sin. For you died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. You die. And now you're someone else. So who are you? The answer to that is you died, and now your life is found in Christ. And so if you want to know who you are, well, you could tell other people, just find Christ. Because I'm striving to be like him in all things. With who I am, I want to be, I want to be a Christian. I want to be like Christ. Who am I? I'm, I'm like Christ. I'm a Christian. Where am I going? Where am I going in life? Well, let's, let's go up to verses 1 and 2 of the same chapter. If then you were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above where Christ is, sitting at the right hand of God, set your mind on things above, not on things on the earth. Where are you going? Well, you're trying to go to heaven. You have set your mind, your hope, your aspirations, the things that you do, you have set your mind and your heart on things above, on going to heaven. You are seeking those things which are above. You know who you are in Jesus Christ. You know where you're going. You're going to heaven. And what do we do in between? Well, the question is, how am I going to get there? In verses 5 through 17 of Colossians chapter 3, give you some very specific things. Don't do this. Do this. If you're in Christ, you do this. If you're not in Christ, you're going to do those things. Do the things that are in Christ. But I think all of those things are really summed up very nicely. Uh, it's only by God's grace that we're going to be saved. We were raised with Christ. That's verse 1, right? So it's not this idea that you're going to save yourself in these things, but how am I supposed to live? What's the road map to get there? Look at verse 17. And whatever you do, what does that leave out? Nothing. <laughs> whatever you do, in word or deed, whatever you say, whatever you think, whatever you do, do all in the name of of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. You hear that? Do all in the name of the Lord Jesus. That's it. All the other things, 5 through 17, really all the other things we find in the New Testament, those are all just specifics. Whatever I do, in word or deed, I do it by the authority of Jesus Christ. I know this pleases God, and so that's why I'm going to do it. That is the map for my life. Can I do all things in the name of Jesus? Okay, you're about to graduate. Those are the three big picture things I want you to think about. But what do I actually need to do? How do I actually accomplish those things? Well, let me give you seven practical, I'll call them calls to action. Will you do these things? Um, and I'm not asking you to memorize all of these things. There's a nice little handout for you on some pretty pieces of paper out there in the foyer. Uh, hopefully all of the seniors got one of those in Bible class this morning to fill out. Just think about doing these seven things. I, I know you're kind of overloaded with lots of things to think about, lots of decisions to make. May I just beg you, plead with you, beseech you by the mercies of God, as Paul said. Just do these seven things. And if you do these seven things, you are well on your way. Number one, come to services every time. Come to services every time, ready to worship, encourage, and learn. 
Uh, you know the passage, don't you? Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 23. You've heard that one before, haven't you? Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. Let us consider one another. Oh boy, that's a big thing in life, isn't it? It's not all about me. I've got to consider other people in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another. And so much the more as you see the day approaching. Uh, I had a young person, uh, somebody in college, in fact, come to me one time, and uh, they were a little offended by something I'd said in a lesson along these lines. And, and they said, you know, we like to read that verse from Hebrews, but, you know, the Bible just doesn't emphasize coming to services or church attendance. The Bible just doesn't emphasize that. And they were ready, they were ready to go. You know what I said? I said, you're right. Doesn't emphasize that. Doesn't emphasize church attendance. This is one of the few verses we have that even, even relates to that church attendance thing. And they were like, what? I said, you know what the Bible does emphasize? The Bible emphasizes Christ's death and remembering that death and partaking of the Lord's Supper. The Bible emphasizes the vital importance of Christian fellowship, that we need one another. The Bible emphasizes true worship to God and how vital that is for us and for Him and our relationship with Him. The Bible emphasizes the importance of learning and growing in God's Word and hearing good teaching and preaching so that we might learn and grow in God's Word. The Bible emphasizes generosity in local churches giving to needy saints and, and generosity in local churches giving to spread the gospel. The Bible emphasizes following elders and shepherds who look out for our souls. The Bible emphasizes the role and work of the local church. It doesn't emphasize church attendance. But where do you do those things? The Bible shouldn't have to emphasize attendance. Just the opposite. It's assumed. It's a given. This, number one, is the minimum, right? And attendance accomplishes so much for us. Now, don't misunderstand me. Just coming to services, even coming every time the doors are open, does not make you a strong Christian. But not attending will absolutely make you a weak one. I am not, speaking for myself and no one else right here, I am not strong enough to consistently miss services all the time and still be the Christian I ought to be. I was talking to a preacher, <laughs> I was talking to a preacher not too long ago, and uh, this guy, he's a little cranky sometimes, but really, really good at what he does, and you know... Uh, it was my mother, actually, who asked him, you know, if you could just do anything that you wanted, what would you do? And he said, here's what I would do. I would buy a 1,000 acres somewhere in Montana or West Texas, just super isolated. I'd buy a 1,000 acres. I would put a house in the middle of it, and I would never leave. I'm like, you're a preacher? Like, that's kind of the opposite, right? And he said, the reason why I preach is because I'm not sure I could go to heaven if I didn't. 
because I know I've got to be about the work of the Lord. I've got to be with the people of the Lord. I'm not strong enough either to do this by myself without these people. And graduates, I love you, and you're strong, and you're faithful. But may I be so bold as to say you're not strong enough to consistently miss services and still be the Christian that you're called to be. What an oasis in the desert worship services and Bible classes can be. These are the people of God, and this is what my life is about. It provides a reset for my perspective and my priorities. And I'll take it a step further this morning. Don't just come to services every time. I want to encourage you to place membership with a congregation. In Acts chapter 9, verse 26, when Paul moved back to Jerusalem after his conversion, the very first thing he tries to do is join himself to the disciples. He needed them. And that provides accountability and responsibility and involvement and encouragement. And all of those things are important, but let me put it in different terms. What it really provides is friendship and fellowship and family. Those things are found in a local church. And I had friends in college who were just, you know, floating Christians. They just went here and there and everywhere, you know. And it was amazing to me, not in every case, but in almost every case, how, how much weaker they got over the course of the semester because there was nobody checking up on them. There was nobody who was expecting them to be there. And sometimes a floating Christian that I'm going to be in lots of places ends up being I'm not really in any place. And there's nothing wrong at all with visiting around or finding the right fit for where you're going to church, but you need to eventually decide and become an active member of a church somewhere, a sound church Wherever it is, you end up. All right, I got to go a little faster. Number three, flee evil companions and pursue godly companions. Uh, in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 33, Paul says, Do not be deceived. Evil company, what? Corrupts good habits, corrupts good morals. If you're keeping evil company, that's the application we make. But in 1 Corinthians, what he's really talking about there are evil companions who believe wrong things and teach wrong things about Jesus Christ and about the resurrection specifically. They were influencing the beliefs of these Christians in Corinth, and that's what led to their corrupted behavior. The influence on their faith came first. And it's in this same context of these kinds of people. And Paul is bold when he writes to Timothy uh, he, he calls these people out by name. He, he says, avoid Hymenaeus and Philetus because they have strayed concerning the truth. Flee those kinds of companions. And it's in that context he says what we read earlier in 2 Timothy 2 and verse 22. Flee also youthful lusts, but pursue righteousness, faith, love, peace with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. I want to suggest that it's not just that you're pursuing peace but you are pursuing righteousness and faith and love as well along with these other people. And in fact, that's what the English Standard Version says. We pursue those things along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. I'm not just fleeing youthful lust and pursuing these other things all by myself. I'm doing it along with other people who are trying to do the same thing. And so I admonish you to flee evil companions and pursue godly companions. There are these people to be found. 
but you have to pursue relationships with them. Uh, when I went to college, uh, the biggest thing I struggled with my first semester, I've told you before, I grew up in a little bitty congregation at the church where I was. I was the only person my age. And I had friends who were in the world and friends who claimed to be Christians and so forth, but, but it was really the first time that I was around a lot of other Christians my age. And for the first time, I saw hypocrisy among them. I mean, it's not like I didn't know that people messed up. I messed up all the time, but I was trying. I was trying to do what's right. And for the first time, I saw that there were people just faking it, man, like just pretending. And, and they'd show up to church like me, and I knew what they'd been doing all week, you know. I was in the dorm was with them. And I really struggled with that for a little bit. And I kind of got in this little funk, and I was staying in my room and stuff, and and somebody knocked on my door and said, hey, we're having a Bible study down the hall. You want to join? I'm like, no, I'm okay. And then I thought about it for a minute. It's like, whoa, wait a second. Wait a Thank you, Lord, right? That's where, that's where these people can be found. I said a moment ago, you can find whatever it is you're looking for. You can find evil companions, but you can find good companions too if that's the person you're looking for. Number four. I want to encourage you to keep the proper Christian perspective. Will you live your life by these three questions? Does this have any eternal significance? And if the answer to that question is no, then why am I so worked up about it? If the answer to that question is yes, then I better pay attention. Does this have any eternal significance? Number two, what's best for me spiritually? Maybe something else is best for me physically. Maybe I'm going to make more money or whatever the case might be, higher social standing. But what is best for me spiritually? And then number three, WWJD, what does that stand for? What would Jesus do? If I ask those three questions 99% of the time, I have my answer of what it is I need to do because my perspective is on spiritual things. And you will be more content, more godly, and make better decisions if you ask and answer those three questions. Number five, read, study, and meditate on God's Word every day. Um, when I think about my own life, especially when I was your age, how well I have done as a Christian has almost always been directly correlated with the consistency of my Bible study habits. This is how we grow. This is how we remain strong this is how we keep our way pure. Turn over to Psalm 119, if you would, Psalm 119. This is another good passage to mark or highlight. In this grand treatise on the law of the Lord, the word of God, whatever you want to call it, there is a section that is devoted specifically to young people. Psalm 119, beginning in verse 9. How shall a young man cleanse his way? By taking heed according to your word. With my whole heart I have sought you. Oh, let me not wander from your commandments. Your word I have hidden, I've stored up, I've treasured in my heart that I might not sin against you. Blessed are you, O Lord. Teach me your statutes. Educate this, this heart that I have. With my lips I have declared all the judgments of your mouth. I have in the way of your testimonies, as much as in all riches, I will meditate on your precepts. I will contemplate your ways. I will delight myself in your statutes. 
I will not forget your word. May I ask you to not forget God's word every day. And even if you just read for one minute, even if you just read one verse, read God's word every single day. And to go along with that, uh, oh, here it is, Psalm 119. See that? That's in the ESV. Number six, may I encourage you to pray every day. 1 Thessalonians 5.17 says, pray without ceasing. Pray all the time. Uh, Something that I picked up, my habit in college, I prayed, and I still do this to this day, I prayed first thing in the morning when I got up. Now, I didn't do this right away. I kind of had to stumble and fall a few times to say, I need to be praying more. What's going on? But by the end of my time in college, I prayed first thing in the morning when I got up. I prayed last thing at night or the next morning before I went to bed. And I prayed every time before I put food in my mouth. And that was something that I did. And that was kind of my habit and routine. And looking back, I think there's probably a little bit of uh, hypocrisy in that as it's 3 a.m. and I'm praying, Lord, bless this Taco Bell to the nourishment of my body. But I tell you, I prayed all the time, right? Because I was praying at those times. And maybe that's not what works for you. But set some times throughout the day where I'm going to be praying every day to my Father who is in heaven and establish that habit of prayer. And then the final thing this morning, and then I'll let go of the captive audience. Parents, don't you wish you had 40 minutes to just... Well, you do, don't you? Maybe you can make your own list like this. But from me, from Reagan, who loves you and wants the best for you, the last practical call to action... Don't quit. Uh, The book of Acts calls this continuing. Uh, They continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine uh, and fellowship and the breaking of bread and prayers, Acts 2, 42. Verse 46 says they continued daily with one accord in the temple. That's the positive way of putting it. They just kept doing the things that they were supposed to be doing it. The opposite way of putting it is they didn't quit. Did you notice as we read through them how many of the things we talked about earlier are expressed in the negative? Pray without ceasing. Do not forsake the assembling. I will not forget your word. It's expressed in the negative because it's a resolve not to quit doing those things no matter what. And you're going to have hard times where you have fears and struggles and pressure and discouragement. And you're going to have questions. And that's okay. But know this. You will not find the answers to those questions in the bottom of a beer bottle, in bed with someone, in a textbook, or in your bank account. The answers to all of those questions are only found in the Lord, in His Word and among his saints. So don't quit. Don't quit coming to the assemblies. Don't quit praying. Don't quit reading your Bible. Don't quit pursuing Christ first, no matter what. Don't give up on God, because he's not giving up on you. Uh, In the book of Revelation, I find it powerful that the New Testament ends with this admonition to Christians who are going through great struggles of persecution, and it's about to get a whole lot worse. And the last thing that God wants to get across in this revelation, but also in the New Testament, as that 
period of time of inspiration came to an end with the last of the apostles dying. What was the message God wants to get across? I'm going to win. And if you're on my side, you're going to win too. The only way, hear me clearly, all of us, graduates especially, the only way the devil can win is if you stop trying. If you give up. If you lose heart. Galatians 6 and verse 9 says, And let us not grow weary while doing good, for in due season we shall reap. We shall reap if we do not lose heart. That's all of us. Keep trying to do what's right. Proverbs 24 and verse 16, For though the righteous fall seven times, they rise again, but the wicked stumble when calamity strikes. Make an effort. Get up and try again. Practicing righteousness is the standard for Christian faithfulness, not perfect righteousness. And this applies to everything in our Christian walk, to Bible study, to prayer, to good works, to overcoming temptation, to influence and evangelism. One day at a time, don't give up. Don't quit. Keep trying. Give your very best. And all the while, you're allowed as a Christian to live in the grace of God when you fall short. But you always keep your focus on spiritual things. That, that young people, that slightly older people, that young adults, that's walking in the Spirit. And God sees that, and God notices that, and God cares, and God will take you safe home if you don't quit. And if you ever feel like quitting, call me. Call your parents. Call somebody else here. Go to the saints. But even more importantly, go to your Heavenly Father in prayer. And listen to what he says in response. Well, are you tired of being preached to graduates? Ah, we look at this list and we realize that's all of us, isn't it? All of us who have named the name of Christ need to be doing these things as well. And we're grateful that God has given us the abundant hope that comes from a right relationship with him. And if you're here this morning and you're not yet a Christian, that opportunity is available to you to come to Christ in humble submission to make Christ the point of your life where you know who you are, where you're going, and how you're going to get there. And if we can help you with that even this morning, come now while together we stand and while we sing.